The Local Youth Worker is a podcast brought to you by Reformed Youth Ministries. Since 1972, RYM has sought to reach and equip youth for Christ. And this podcast seeks to reach and equip those parents and youth workers who share that same desire. For more information on our student conferences, youth leader training, or resources, visit rym.org. Hey everyone, welcome back to The Local Youth Worker, a podcast brought to you by Reformed Youth Ministries. I'm your host, John Parrott. This is episode 368, and we will have Scott and Linda joining us again for our Rested Development segment, and then we will have Brian Sorgenfry and Brent Corbin joining us to talk about ministry transition. Um, Right now, I'm going to talk about an essential book for youth ministry, or essential books, really, uh, for youth ministry. Uh, Just a few disclaimers uh, before we even get into that. Um, the sound uh, is not the, the same. Um, as I've been giving disclaimers of uh, us traveling to different conferences and recording these, um, I'm actually back in my office, but I'm having some technical difficulties with our um, microphone. Uh, it's probably user error on my part, um, but hopefully we'll get that uh, corrected. But I wanted to get some content to you all, um, so hopefully you can get past uh, just the audio. Uh, the, the other is the sound of my voice. I'm a little under the weather, uh, so hopefully my voice will last um, for this little segment. Um, but as we've been doing essentials of, um, I guess, essential books for youth ministry, um, I've got several uh, that I wanted to list. And I know uh, Drew Turberville, I uh, said several episodes ago, um, how there are books that you use and then kind of books for, um, personal devotion. I've got a, a mixture here and I guess I'll start with kind of the, the books that have been helpful for me, uh, and just discipling students, uh, books that I, I use. And, and I think one that kind of comes to the top is a book by Paul David Tripp and Tim Lane entitled Relationships, A Mess Worth Making. Um, there was actually a, workbook uh, that I think that goes along with this, and I think the title is Change in Your Relationships, Um, but it uses a lot of the content from uh, this Relationships and Mess Worth Making. Um, I I just remember teaching students through this. uh, I think I did senior high Sunday school, and uh, just such a foundational book um, that that ultimately rooted relationships in uh, the Trinity. Um, so I would just uh, definitely recommend that book, and uh, students loved it, and uh, it was just a lot of good content. Um, a few uh, kind of large group studies that we did um, when we divided into girls' small groups and guys' small groups, we, we used Respectable Sins by Jerry Bridges. Uh, I remember uh, students just being introduced to the idea of kind of mortifying our sin and then also kind of seeing the, the sins that we would call respectable. I mean, it's a, it's a classic book that Jerry Bridges uh, put together, um, and I know a student edition came out later, uh, but that was just, again, another study uh, that our students loved um, and had a lot of good conversation come out of that, as well as Hole in Our Holiness by Kevin DeYoung. Um, again, just kind of an intro to sanctification and uh, a, a lot of good uh, content there. Um, uh, one more specifically for uh, uh Guy Discipleship, a guy small group that I did, uh, was Thoughts for Young Men by J.C. Ryle. Um, I probably used that in three different small groups through my time in student ministry. Um, and I would just have students, I can remember one student make the comment of, I wish I would have read this in junior high. And so it's just amazing to me that J.C. Ryle died in 1900 and that uh, his words were still resonating uh, with students. Um, so that's just kind of a, a timeless book um, that I would encourage um, others to pick up. Um, another book, too, is Concise Theology by J.I. Packer. Um, this one gets into a lot of different categories. Um, I, I just used that book in so many different ways. Um, but I can remember, especially, I, I mean, I'm thinking of one specific student um, who did not grow up in the church and did not know anything about Reformed theology and being able to um, break up these short chapters and explain, um, you know, justification, sanctification in a very concise way. Um, it's just such a helpful book uh, that um, you can use in, in so many different ways. Um, so concise theology, I mean, I would also use that as I was 
preparing for any kind of talk, um, I would just look up, um, you know, the, the various uh, concepts that are, are mentioned in there. Um, there's, I don't know off the top of my head, maybe 50 to 60 entries of theology that are just broken up into short pages. Uh, so very helpful book. Um, as far as kind of broader youth ministry goes, um, The Space Between by Walt Mueller. Um, I remember uh, reading that book and it just hit me at the right time where there was some frustration in student ministry and uh, this book is all about uh, just the developmental process of teens from just kind of mental, uh, spiritual, I mean every physical um, just change that's taking place. And it just, I remember, fostered patience with me uh, towards the students and kind of helped me think about what they were going through. Um, so that was a helpful book. Um, Perspectives on Family Ministry. Um, this was another helpful book as well. It's edited by Timothy Paul Jones, who's a professor at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. Um, it, it goes through three different perspectives on family ministry, and uh, and it allows the authors to kind of uh, assert their um, opinion about family ministry and then the others to critique it. And so um, I think it just it's helpful for me to kind of think about my own youth ministry and, and the involvement of parents. And so that would be one that I would point others to. Um, and then kind of uh, some personal books I'd like to mention. Um, this is not exhaustive, but just some that kind of come to the top. Uh, Zeal Without Burnout has been mentioned several times, so I'll just go ahead and say that. That's a, a great book to read. I think Spurgeon's Sorrows by Zach S. Wine is another one that kind of gets forgotten, um, but it's very helpful. Um, uh, two kind of newer ones. Uh, one that's not theological at all is Deep Work by Cal Newport. Um, that's just been a helpful book for me uh, to think about how to do deep work. And, and I think the, the subtitle is something like in a, in a digital age or in a distracted age. And so... Um, just the idea, I mean, there's so much, um, you know, ministry where we do need to do deep work. If that's uh, digging into scripture, um, preparing for a lesson, um, and, and I don't know, there's just some concepts in this book that kind of uh, helped me try to implement some of that in my routine. Um, but then another new book is Gentle and Lowly. Um, this is a book that uh, I kind of get tired of hearing about <laughs> because so many people talk about it. Um, but there's a reason why so many people talk about it. It's just, it's a phenomenal book. I can remember when, when so many people were talking about it and I still hadn't read it, um, I, I finally just thought, okay, I'll go ahead and pick this up. And then as soon as I began to read, I understood why so many people were talking about it. Um, it was a book I had to force myself to read slower um, because there was just so much I wanted to reflect on. And it's one of those rare books, as I was reading it, I was thinking, yeah, I'm definitely going to read this book again because um, it's just so good. Um, so those are a few that come to mind, not exhaustive. There's so many more, um, but I wanted to go ahead and get those out to you um, right now. Here is our Rested Development segment with Scott and Linda. Hey everybody, welcome back to Rested Development. I'm here again with Linda Oliver and Scott Bird. Uh, we are in Florida right now, um, and I didn't say this last time, but it's just awesome to be able to sit in the same space and have these conversations. Um, I know we, we, you know, have talked about that just being so burned out of zoom, uh, meetings and all that kind of stuff through, through COVID. But, um, it's definitely taught just the importance of physical presence and being together, having these conversations. Uh, so appreciate the two of you uh, joining me again, especially because you all have students and even in between, um, our, our first conversation to now, I mean, Scott's having to arrange, uh, a bus driver to pick them up for their um, day out today, and Linda's got those details as well. So I know you are juggling, juggling a lot, and I appreciate y'all being a part of this. Um, last week, we ended on kind of extracurriculars, and I know we'll start getting into kind of rest a little bit more in, in this segment. Um, but I'd love to hear, Linda and then Scott, um, what you all do to, to try to be a part of extracurriculars with students. Do you do that at all? Just kind of what, what does that look like for you, Linda? That, I think, has changed a little bit through the years, but then also with where I am now. So I would say places I've been before, um, largely like there were maybe just a handful of schools represented that I could look at you know, the list of students that I'm trying to minister to and have a pretty good idea of, okay, like I can spend Tuesday going to this game, this game and like Wednesday going to this game and 
you know, whatever, like not have a crazy week um, and make sure that I'm covering like the wide range of students. Sometimes I would even like print out all the schedules for the whole semester and just plan out when does this girl actually have a tennis game in town that I can go to and would just plan it out a little bit that way. Um, and yeah, I don't know. So I think I was thinking through how do I make sure I reach all of them and also like not have every night out myself. Um, and sometimes students would have games on Wednesdays that I couldn't go to because we had programs or whatever. Um, whereas where I'm at now, everything on Orlando feels more spread out. Most of our students go to our Christian school. Um, but then there's a handful of other schools that are represented that most of the time it's not as worth like the time commitment I would have to put into it to drive there, watch a two hour game, drive back. Um, and I got this input from like a youth worker who had been at my church for, I don't know, eight or nine years before that she was just like, you know, honestly, like I, I put more one and one-on-one time in with the students who, um, who don't go to our school, um, and put more extracurricular time in with the students who do go to this school. Um, cause you just get a lot more kind of bang for your buck. And so I like, honestly, that is one thing I have to think through is like, does it make sense for me to spend three hours this way? Or could I reach more students by having like two different one-on-ones with the same amount of time? Yeah, um, what, so what do you think is the, like the benefit of going to these games mm-hmm. other than just maybe they just feel supported? I don't know. Right. Cause I struggle with that. Yeah. Yeah, because I feel like it can depend on the context. Like, there have been some places I've gone, and I can run into a lot of other students who are watching and parents, and it's great. I get a lot of interaction. And then other places, it's like, well, I go, and I sit in the stands, and I watch the soccer game, and, like, I don't really see anyone that I should be interacting with. Yeah, or the student, maybe. Yeah, (laughs) it's like I have to catch them at that one moment where they're, like, running off the field before they get picked up to say, hey, good job. And they're like, okay, cool, and they, like, run off. And I'm like, yeah, okay, I hope hope that was worth the two hours I put into this. Yeah. Um, Yeah, so it just really varies on context. Yeah. I'm I'm the same way. I, I... I don't enjoy going to extracurricular activities, but I feel this, this immense pressure to do it. You know, Mm -hmm. I think that's like, that's what everybody just assumes youth pastors do. Um, but like you said, if, if I went to everybody's extracurricular activities, I would be out every night. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, even if I just went to one of each person's thing, I would be out every night. You know, there's so many things that you could go to. And so, um, I really don't do a whole lot. I try to do maybe one football game if we have football players on the team. Uh, one thing that's kind of cool that our church did, it was a tradi- tradition before I got there, but we had a lot of theater kids in our youth group, and it's a tradition to go eat at um, this hamburger place, Handy Andy, if anybody knows that. It's awesome. Um, but we go eat at this hamburger place and then go to the play, and it's like a youth group thing, so it would be like 15 of us would go do that. And um, – and that was kind of the only time I felt like, all right, this is this is beneficial for the youth ministry. I really feel like I'm connecting with kids. Uh, it's like building community, that kind of thing. But, yeah, just showing up to a football game and mm-hmm. sitting there. I'm not going to sit in the student section because I'm the old guy. That would be yeah. creepy, you know. Um, so I feel like, yeah, I just don't know what the benefit is. And usually, too, I don't know if. I don't know if I, if this should be a motivation to go to the games or not, but usually those people that are playing in those games are not involved in the youth ministry. Like those people that are really involved in sports are too busy to be involved in the youth ministry. And so I feel like I don't really have a relationship with that person. Me going to this game is probably not going to help that relationship. And so I think maybe seeking ways to get with that kid one-on-one would be a lot more beneficial than Mm -hmm. going to the game. Has that changed? Like the longer you've been in youth ministry that you've gone more towards doing Think, thinking less of, of investing time in extracurriculars? Um, not really, because when I worked okay. with John, we had a rule <laughs> that we couldn't, that we didn't get a extracurriculars, and he mm-hmm. can talk a little bit more about that. But okay. um, so we didn't do it at all at, when I was at Pear Orchard as a, as a youth coordinator. Um, then I got to Oxford and just kind of felt the pressure to do it. And so I would kind of do it um, 
just out of obligation more. And I do enjoy it sometimes, but, um, but yeah, I've, I've become more that way. And I've heard recently that I need to go to more, uh, extracurricular mm-hmm. stuff, but also have interns that can kind of do some of that cause they don't have families and young kids they're putting to bed and that kind of thing. So, um, they they just want some representation from Christ Pres at those events. Gotcha. Yeah, it's um sometimes it does seem like just a glorified PR thing for the youth ministry, you know, just to be seen and just to show up. And I mean, Linda, the example you gave of man, I might see the student for five seconds mm-hmm. and just kind of hey, and they knew I was out there. And so um, I don't want to minimize, especially those who are listening, that there's ministry that can occur. There's ministry that is good. I think Lynn recently on the show is saying she loves going to these games because she sits with the parents and she's with them. Mm-hmm. She gets to interact with them and they're watching the students. So without a doubt, don't don't hear me say there's not value in that and that it's not important. Um, yeah, kind of speaking to what Scott said, early on I went to – uh, you know, a lot of extracurriculars. And we would typically, if we had football players, we would try to go to at least one game of a football player and try to make it a big deal of like, hey, if you want to come, we're going to meet at this restaurant before. So you'd have plenty of students come and then we'd go to the game and you get to, you know, see a lot of your, your students there. So it was kind of accomplishing a lot. But kind of where I first began to change my thoughts on some of this was uh, – I got in, you know, on a Monday morning to the office and I had an email from a parent and said, hey, I heard you were at this football game on Friday night. Why weren't you at my son's football game? And I started thinking of, okay, um, at this time, I think we had 17 schools represented in our youth group. And I started thinking of all the extracurriculars from the chess team to theater to all kinds of stuff. And I was thinking, I cannot possibly be at all of this. I'm going to miss some student stuff. I'm a father of my own and, and, and I'm like I've got my own children that I need to be around. And so I just started rethinking of, you know what, let's just not do any extracurriculars and let's really emphasize one-to-one ministry and picking up students and getting down with them. And, and also too, I just thought sustainable, like, like it just allowed me to do the job longer by not being out that many nights and not sacrificing my family, um, you know, to, to go and to be at everything. And so that was a significant change that I made. I mean, I ran it by our senior pastor and, and, and I would even at our orientation when parents came in, I told them that at the the very first night. So they kind of had an expectation of, look, in some ways, I think it's an old school form of ministry and, um, people still do it, but there's also some changes. And even as I'm thinking of like going to school lunches, there are a lot of schools and a lot of places that don't allow that to happen anymore. So it's just kind of changing a little bit um, of a mindset. But that was a way that I felt like I was able to kind of continue to do the job and to sustain um, the, the pace a little bit more, but to back off. But um, Linda, do you want to react to that? Scott, do you want to react to that? Make some comments, follow up on that, and then we can maybe uh, talk a little bit more about just kind of resting a little bit of ministry. Are you all good? I was just going to say with the school lunch thing, uh, one time I asked some students because I felt that pressure too, to be in the cafeteria. And so I asked some students, I was like, do y'all want me to come? Like, would, would y'all want me to come sit and eat lunch with y'all? Or would you rather just hang out after school? And they were like, please don't come to our school <laughs> and eat lunch with us. Yeah. I don't know if that says something about me or just <laughs> them and just kind of their world. And they don't maybe want, you know, somebody else coming into their world and it would mm-hmm. be weird and awkward and all that kind of stuff. So, um, anyway, just wanted to throw that yeah, out there. Yeah, there are definitely some school lunches where it's it's like that. I had one public school once in another city that we weren't allowed to, like, walk amongst the tables. We were only allowed to, like, hang out kind of by the wall, and the students could come talk to us. <laughs> and I was like, what? Like, <laughs> why would we want to do that? You're Force just over the against the wall, like, kind of waving in a distance. Yeah, <laughs> like, like they would have to choose to get up and come talk to uh. us and not be eating, not hanging out with their friends for a few minutes. And then if they're not doing that, they see, like, oh, here are their youth leaders standing awkwardly at the wall, <laughs> and I feel like it's my fault. That Yeah, that was not... Man. That was not a good situation. Yeah, it's like, how can we make the high school cafeteria more yeah. awkward? Um, mm-hmm. let, let's just like, put a bunch of youth workers up against the wall and uh, stand there. And that's, yeah, I can remember going to some school lunches and thinking, okay, you know, I went and sat by one of my students amongst his 10 friends that I didn't even know. Mm-hmm. And I was like trying to entertain everyone and like trying to be funny and thinking like, what is happening here? And what, <laughs> what, what's my role here? Um, 
So yeah, school lunches were, were terrible. And I know, I mean, I'm thinking of some, I mean, Kurt Cooper being one, he still does those consistently. I know many people do that. Um, maybe in the last few minutes, I know we're going to be uh, winding this down. Um, we're we're kind of already getting into balance. Okay, how are we balancing extracurriculars? What do we say yes to and no to? What about some just some practical things that have been restful for you and your schedule throughout the years, uh, some rhythms, routines that you try to make sure, I mean, guarding a day off, things like that. I mean, Linda, maybe speak into to some of that. How do you guard a day off? How, um, how do you find rest? What are some things that are helpful for you? Yeah, I think um, I had the whole guarding a day off like really ingrained in me from when I first came into ministry. Um, so that's been pretty consistent for me. One thing that's been really helpful to me, which I don't, I think, I think it's coming like partially from some, some books I've been reading and partially from like leadership at my church um, in the past year or so is just this idea that I'm recognizing all these ways that I have all these self-imposed demands on myself and self-imposed deadlines. And those are the things that can really exhaust me. And for me to go like, oh, nobody else told me that that project needed to be done by October. I just had that in my mind and that's why I'm stressed out about it. Nobody told me I had to like accomplish this many extracurriculars in a week or whatever it is. You like, I just came up with that number myself and I'm telling myself I'm not a good youth worker if I don't meet those things. Um, just the ability to, to back up and go, okay, is, is somebody actually telling me I have to do that? Or did I come up with that expectation myself? And can I back off of that? Like, is it okay for us to not have as many programs this summer as, as I've done in the past? Like, nobody's telling me that I, I have to have as many programs as I've done in previous places and I have permission to, to not, um, yeah, things like that have been really helpful in, in finding a, a balance. That's great. Yeah, there's you, you can put a lot of expectations mm-hmm. on yourself that other people are not <laughs> expecting of you. Um, I think for, for me, definitely garden your day off and just not do anything. Like we had a – our church had this kind of event on a Saturday that it was not like a church-wide event. It was They were meeting with this other church, and it was kind of like, hey, if you can make it, come – do it but we'd had some other stuff for church the weekends before that and I was just like man we need our family needs a weekend where there's no church stuff and so I just said no like we're not going to make it and um you know nobody's mad at me or anything like that I don't think but um but yeah I think just being able to say no and having some people maybe disappointed but you know you're guarding yourself for longevity in ministry and uh youth ministry can burn people out quickly if they, if they don't say no to things. Um, I think another thing that was really good for, for my rest in ministry was, uh, our senior pastor, uh, Kurt Presley went to RYM one year and, uh, and we were having our second baby and he went to RYM and he came back and he said, first thing he said, when he came back, he popped his head in my office. He said, Hey, how many days off do you get after a trip like that? I said, well, I usually just take one or maybe two and then come back in the office. He goes, you need more than that. <laughs> and so he said, he said, ask around these other churches, see what they do, come up with a policy. And, uh, and I asked around all these different churches that were about our size. And some of them, I mean, it was crazy. Some of them said, you know, we don't, we don't give our youth workers days off after trips. They have vacation days that they can use. Mm. Yeah. And, uh, but the, the healthy churches, um, yeah. they, they said uh, a, a kind of a, a standard one was for every night that you're away, you get a day off when you get back. So like, you know, junior high RYM, I'm gone for four nights. So when I get back, I'll mm-hmm. have four days. I don't have to work. And, uh, you know, senior high is five nights. So I'll be off the week, the week following that. And it's, it's kind of tough to do when you get a trip coming up and you still have some stuff to prepare, mm-hmm. but you know, that expectation is that you can be off if you, if you need to be. And of course ran that through the proper people that mm-hmm. needed to approve that and everything. But, um, that was super helpful. Just having kind of a clear policy and it's not like up in the air and you feel kind of guilty for, for missing a day or two. Um, so that was helpful. No, that is very helpful. Um, and yeah, that's just, that's a gracious church that's going to do that. I mean, it really does. I mean, if anyone's listening to to this and, and they're in that kind of a church, I mean, that, that frustrates me, um, that, you know, um, people would take advantage of their staff like that and run them into the ground. And that's not a gracious mindset. Um, yeah, I mean, there's 
a lot of scripture I think we could throw at that <laughs> to, to deal with. So, um, now that's awesome to hear. And yeah, comp time is so important. Um, so look, yeah, yeah. I think the last thing, since we mentioned, uh, reading a lot earlier, um, on my day off, I made sure I did not read <laughs> or if I read, I mean, typically I would have devotional, um, material. It was nothing related to youth ministry, you know, a book that was solely just a devotional book on top of scripture. And so, yeah, I just wanted to get my mind away from youth ministry as much as I could. Um, <clears throat> because I know with us, we bring, you know, it's, it's hard not to leave the work at the office and just get home, but trying to, as much as I could, just mentally check out from youth ministry and not think about it and try to be present with my family. And so, yeah, I found that um, not reading anything kind of youth-related was was important on those days. So that was just kind of a final thought I wanted to share. Um, there's a lot more I'd love to follow up with on just on programs and comp time, but maybe we can talk about all that later because for now I know you guys need to get back to students. Um, so I uh, have enjoyed the time just to get to catch up with y'all, and I hope the, the rest of the week goes well here. So, Linda, Scott, thanks a lot. Hey, everybody. Uh, I am here with Brent Corbin and Brian Sorgenfry. Uh, Brent, how's it going? Great, John. Just down here loving life at Laguna Beach Christian Retreat Center. Yeah. Um, Brent is our executive director, and Brent... I couldn't get the email, I meant the internet, to pull up to see which episode you're on, but Brent came on a while back, um, a couple months ago maybe? Yeah, it was in this spring before I officially started, but it was out on the horizon, so I was given a little bit of thoughts and words about the transition that was at that point upcoming, but now has fully happened, so. Yeah, yeah, and I'm also here with Brian Sorgenfry. Brian, how's it going? It's going well. Also enjoying being at Laguna Beach Christian <laughs> Retreat Center for, I think this is my, the twenty seventh week of my life to spend here. I believe so. We're half a year of my life. That's that's pretty amazing. Um, and we were reminiscing too. You were on some of the earliest episodes of the local youth worker. Yes, um, did very not, memorable. Did not ask to do it again for five <laughs> years, which probably says something. But yes, back in I think two thousand seventeen or something yeah, in Colorado. Yeah, a while back. Yeah. We were in Colorado. Um, so, yeah, look, today uh, we're going to talk a little bit about ministry calling, um, ministry transition a little bit. Uh, and so as we're reflecting on kind of calling vocation, I thought it would be interesting to hear, do you remember one of your first jobs that you ever had or a memorable experience in a job, occupation, maybe a, a funny story, uh challenge difficulty brent's already got something yeah go for it, brent uh so i was a i was a finance major in college and um i had gotten the exact job the exact kind of job that i thought i would want uh, upon graduating from ou and so i was sitting in a bank uh in an oil and gas lending group and uh the the time that i joined the bank the price of oil was very high, so companies just weren't needing, they weren't needing to borrow a lot of money. And so that meant that my job was extremely slow. And so what I would do to, to pass the time at my job is I had a cubicle. Actually, I was so low on the ladder that I shared a cubicle <laughs> with another, with an intern. Uh, and But to pass the days, I would bring, um, I had been a recently converted reader at that point. And so, uh, I hated reading my whole life until, uh, actually until RUF in college and, um, I started reading. Anyway, I'd bring books to the bank and I would set them in my lap and I would have my hands on the keyboard. Like I was <laughs> doing bank work, which I had none to do. Uh, but I would sit there and read books in my lap. And then if anybody ever walked up, I would quickly like close the book with my legs <laughs> and further act like I was doing work at the computer. So uh, that I, I like to say that that year of uh, working in the bank drove me into early retirement and eventually into ministry. So, so, uh, so even the the guy or girl that you shared the cubicle with, did they know what was going on? Did you let them in on this? And oh, for of- sure. Because if I was low on the totem pole, he was even lower than me. And so, uh, so he, if I had nothing to do, he really had nothing to do. And so we, we shared, we would talk about it. He was a believer also. And so he knew what I was doing. He was probably doing the same thing. And it was just early enough in kind of internet work age. It was 
2003 where you just had the sense that big brother the corporate you know was the corporation was looking over your shoulder at every kind of website you were visiting and everything which they probably were but um it kept us properly scared about not just doing everything on our computer uh hence bringing actual books to work so yeah nice um yeah i had a cubicle experience as well uh in insurance right out of college um, the office, I think it just gives, you know, greater appreciation for that when you experience cubicles. Brian, did you have a cubicle experience or anything else you can think of, uh, early I, work? I literally think I would go insane in the cubicle. Uh, it was rough. I, one of the first jobs I can remember, and I don't even know how it came about, but me and like a couple buddies in high school for a summer became a janitor, uh, at a, at a church together because we thought it'd be fun to work together and they needed some summer help because what they did every summer was they would strip the floors, which I didn't know what this meant, which means you strip the wax and then you got to re-wax it. And so that's pretty much what we did all summer along with the full-time janitorial staff, janitorial staff. And what that, uh, turned into, um, my uh, my bosses uh, did not know this supervising because when you strip a floor it becomes extremely slick because it's like all the wax is on the top and so it came into con it basically became a contest of if you could slide all the way down the <laughs> hall um without busting uh and so we came home many days with uh with wet pants and uh bruises uh but uh i got to be pretty good uh i feel wow. like so I was I was oh. I was gonna say, who who won that? Uh, did, did did you win the the competition? Uh, I was um, being tall is always a disadvantage uh, to having true. your balance. Having your balance. Yeah, that valid excuse. Um, and I'm thinking, yeah, where you did that? That's a lot of floor space. I mean, that's a considerable project. To, yeah, uh, undertake. Yeah. It was, um, and we had eventually uh, rewaxed the floors, but <laughs> for right. that brief period. Yeah. Um, well, thanks for sharing that guys. Um, I know we just kind of jumped in, um, Brian, maybe just a little more introduction on who you are. I skipped over that and kind of, as we're talking about ministry transition, what you're doing now. So kind of what you were doing, um, just, I guess a month ago uh, to now. So I, I did REF campus ministry for, uh, 13 years. I was campus minister at both Mississippi state and then the last, uh, for eight years, then last five years was, uh, at Ole Miss, uh, which was my alma mater, which was really awesome uh but uh just like 10 days ago i came on staff with christ presbyterian church in oxford uh as associate pastor uh which is the church that my family's a part of and we love and my campus minister my freshman year uh and all through college was a guy named les newsome and he is now the lead pastor there um and so even that's really oh it's really neat uh for me and my family so yeah so maybe just um, let's begin kind of uh, the early notions of, okay, that the job both of you were doing um, and the shelf life that it had. And, you know, I think all of us, you know, as we do jobs, we think, okay, we're happy, we're content, but is this going to be it? You know, is this going to be kind of the next 10, 20 years, the rest of my life? Um kind of some of those thoughts as you guys, and you know, you're doing college ministry. And I think, you know, it's similar in youth ministry. You do kind of feel the shelf life. You feel like, okay, I'm getting a little older. Um, I don't know how effective I am. Maybe kind of talk through some of those early thoughts, Brent or Brian, whoever kind of wants to, to jump in, if that makes sense. When I was sitting at the bank and, and thinking about ministry, um, I, I knew that before I wanted to go to seminary and kind of fully commit that I should probably go try it out and see what it was like because I wasn't naive enough to think that it was all sunshine and rainbows, um, you know, in the ministry world. But, uh, so I, I did, I went and had signed up to be an RUF intern and did that for a few years and really loved that experience. Uh, and then eventually went on to seminary and, and started sensing that this is what I wanted to do. Um, you know, the, I guess that aspect of calling and then in, as a campus minister, I went on to be an RUF campus minister for eight years, and I loved it. I mean, it, it was a great job. It was something I was familiar with, um, really enjoyed working with young people at that age of life when they're making a lot of big decisions out on their own, uh, just about all kinds of things. And um, 
but it, there was a point for me at, toward the end of that time where it, it wasn't so much that I got bored in the job or that I did, or sorry, it wasn't so much that I, I wanted to get away from young people and working with college students or anything like that. It was, uh, for me, um, I, I kind of, I had been at a smaller school. I was a campus minister at the University of Tulsa, which is about 2,800 undergraduate students. And um, I just kind of got to a place where I felt like I didn't, I, I didn't know w- what else to do in the job other than just keep doing what I had been doing. And my personality was such that that's where I started f- um, feeling like a little bit antsy, that I wanted to do something different and go learn a new thing or build something new or try a new, my hand at something different. And so for me, it wasn't, again, it wasn't so much like, oh, I need to go be with 40 year olds now. It was just, I think I've done what I came here to do. And uh, I began to be curious about other, uh, other aspects of ministry and, and vocation and stuff like that. So that's what that first transition looked like for me. And then I, I went in to be an area coordinator with RUF for four years. So, and I've now obviously transitioned into RYM. Um, so for me, it's, that's kind of how I thought about it is, um, just trying to keep my pulse on what's happening in my own heart. And if I'm, you know, getting bored with something or wanting a new challenge or recognizing I have gifts to serve the Lord in a different capacity. Um, and I've tried to pay attention to that with the help of friends and obviously praying and talking to my wife and all of that stuff. Yeah, no, that's good. Brian, anything to add to that? Remind me of the question. <laughs> um, kind of the, the sensing of the, the shelf life of the former role you were in and just kind of some of those thoughts, how you process that. Yeah. I, part of my story, and this has always kind of been a struggle of mine. Like I, I can remember, at least in the nomination I'm part of, before you even uh, or ordained, you have to become a candidate for ministry at Presbyterian. I can remember standing there with another individual, and we were supposed to give your testimony and call to ministry. And the guy that went before me, I mean, I think he's being authentic. I remember him standing up saying, I'm called to ministry. He's like, he said, I cannot imagine doing anything else uh, but preaching and proclaiming the gospel. And I also remember thinking, oh my gosh, like that, like I could imagine myself doing a lot of other things. And I, it also was an insecurity. Like I didn't know what that meant. I didn't know if that meant I shouldn't be doing this. Um, and I, and I, I talked to enough people that the journey that, I mean, God has been kind, but it has felt a lot more like believing people around me. Uh, than kind of my own voices in my head. Uh, and so a lot of what happened is people kept telling me, I think you're good at this and you should do this. And, and I do like, I, I've, I love college students. I think they're awesome. Uh, I didn't, I've not grown tired of college students, but part of what started happening was last year, uh, I got asked by the session in a church to be a candidate for a job at a church that we love that's in the town that we love in the stage of life with my family, just in uh, junior high and late elementary school. That is the first thing I said yes to interviewing for. Uh, and as I interviewed and as I sat with the search committee and they asked good questions, it just kind of became this soup of, I think stage of life and where my family is and what God's doing in this church, as best I can tell for the next five years, I think this would be a great place for us to serve. Um, but I, I, there's tension, like there's sadness about leaving RUF. Like I, I love, sure. I love college students and I don't know. So yeah, it's felt a lot more ordinary mm-hmm. than I thought. Um, mm-hmm. uh, that maybe it's not as different from my friends who are who've switched to a different accounting job. Uh, I don't know <laughs> if that sounds unspiritual, uh, but nah. yeah. And no, I resonate with, I mean, your comment of it's kind of more the, the language we've used external call more than the internal call. It's, uh, those voices kind of outside affirming certain gifts that we can't always see and just kind of wrestling with that. But Brent, I know you wanted to, to jump on with something. Yeah. I, something Brian said, jog my memory, the, um, the external call thing. And then you just mentioned it too. Uh, after I had been at, at 
Tulsa as a campus minister and then had been an area coordinator, I was talking about just processing through life and, and vocation and um, with a good friend of mine. Um, he had been a longtime supporter of ours in ministry, and um, he had had a lot of executive experience and worked with, you know, people who ran organizations and all kinds of stuff. And as I was talking to him at that point, I'd been in ministry for about 10 years post-seminary. He had looked and had seen very closely what kind of what I had done and and the kind of person I was and gifts and stuff. And he just looked at me and it it was one of the most affirming things anybody's ever said to me. Uh, He just said, um, he said, well, you built a clock and I didn't know what that meant at all. And so I, I said, I, what are you talking about? He said, well, he said, when Tim, uh, when, when Steve Jobs was in, con, you know, at the helm in Apple and was kind of their everything, um, he created an organization or a company that in order for things to ultimately get done, all of the major decisions ran through him. So he was the gatekeeper of, of every big decision. And then obviously Steve Jobs got sick and ultimately passed away. And Tim Cook was his successor and still is. And the way that Tim Cook set up Apple, and it's, it's interesting because as great as Apple was and as many novel things as they did, and I mean, changed the world in some ways, Apple, Apple has actually been more profitable and has grown as a company more under Tim Cook than it did, did under Steve Jobs. And what Tim Cook did differently is he set up the systems and structures of Apple and kind of the internal guts of it in such a way that he empowered people in the different areas of the company to to use their gifts and to, they could make independently as, as each department had its head, uh, those department heads and, and different people, they could make big decisions and Tim Cook fully empowered them to do that. And uh, this article that he had read that he was referencing uh, was that Steve Jobs created a, you know, created Apple, but Tim Cook built the clock that makes Apple run. And so when he turned to me and said, you built a clock, it was, you know, it wasn't a direct comparison to Tim Cook. That would have been <laughs> <laughs> wrong and, and too flattery. But um, he was just saying, you you take joy in looking at the thing, figuring out how to make it work, and then putting the people and the systems and the structures in place to, to make it work. And I loved that because I think that spoke to some of the things that I enjoyed most about doing ministry. Um, it had, uh, yeah, it helped encapsulate where I thought some of my gifts were and as they had developed through those 10 years or so. And um, I think ultimately in this most recent transition into RYM, as I was interviewing with the board and, and talking with them about what they were looking for, it got to be really invigorating, exciting because the way the job description read and the way that they talked to me about it was basically that they said, you know, here's, here's the thing, here's the product, so to speak. Um, we want you to come in and look at all the areas and, you know, get the right people on the bus and the right, in the right places, and then set this thing up to go. And I'm um, in RYM was already functioning very well before I came in, but just to come in and kind of do that was a very uh, invigorating, exciting prospect for me. Yeah, no, that, that's good. Um, kind of maybe staying on this theme a little bit. Um, you know, those who are out there listening and they might be contemplating, okay, is it time for me to move on? Um, what What are some thoughts on, no, it's not time to move on yet. What, what are some thoughts on, I mean, both of you guys are, are, are moving on and you're transitioning, but I mean, Brian, you had mentioned, I think this was the only interview you actually accepted. So you had had other people calling you. So doesn't have to be you answering this, but maybe some, just some thoughts, some counsel on somebody out there listening. And you might say, well, no, think about these things before you move on or no, it's not necessarily time to to move on. Maybe you should, should stay. Any, any thoughts on that? Either one of you? I have one thought on that really quickly. Um, When I was in RUF for 12 years along the way, I, I, heard this from a number of different people. And I think it ultimately, I think there's a lot of wisdom in it, especially when you think about doing ministry with younger people where, you know, (laughs) they're staying the same age, even as you're aging up. Um, the, the wisdom or the thing that we would hear from just each other was stay in as long as you can, because there really is something to be said about being closer in age to the people you're ministering to and, you know, youth culture and, and even collegiate culture, it, that's a world that changes so frequently. And I mean, things that people are into and the shows they're watching and lit, the 
songs we're listening to, all that. I mean, it is, it's so cyclical. And the more you can kind of hang in that world and pay attention to it and have your finger on the pulse, just the more effective you're going to be at connecting with people. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't ultimately mean you'll be super effective at ministry itself, but just getting in their space and understanding it is a big deal. Um, But at some point, if you look up and you realize, I'm I'm just feeling it, you know, I'm feeling the distance. I, I don't, I don't like watching some of those shows anymore and all of us do things in our jobs that we don't love. So sometimes you just watch it anyway, but if it's not coming as natural and it's starting to, you know, maybe it's your family schedule that starts conflicting with what the job is demanding of you in the evenings or maybe time away or being out of town, you ultimately have to look at a change. But I think there's a lot of wisdom in that it's, there tends to be more just statistically more opportunities for evangelism uh, with younger people. They're more available uh, I was talking with a uh, pastor yesterday down here at lunch, and he said uh, he's contemplating actually a move uh, into a younger, you know, a, a line of work with younger people in the church. And uh, I just said one of the biggest changes you'll recognize is that young people are so much more available <laughs> than than adults. And so the pace at which you can see, have the conversations, and Lord willing, see change in their life just tends to be really sped up. And that's a really exciting in my mind, that's a really exciting uh, thing to be a part of because, um, yeah, it's evangelism is is right there in front of you. Discipleship can happen, you know. It's all the spirits work, but as far as we can see, it can happen at a quicker pace just because you're getting more touches uh, or more frequent touches with the people you're talking to. And Brian, I don't know if this is helpful too. Kind of going back to your. Um you said, again, you only took, this was the first interview you took. Maybe some of the thoughts of why did you say no to some of these others? I mean, that could be, there could be so many reasons uh, for that, but just kind of some, some reasons you thought, you know what, um, as appealing as this offer for this interview might be, it's just not time. And I just, you know, don't feel like I'm being pulled away from this yet. I don't know. Any, any thoughts there? Yeah. (sighs) I mean, part of it is I just, um, I loved RUF, and I loved working with college students. Um, They're fun. Everything that Brent just said, um, uh, the amount of free time they have, uh, there, there just seems to be this, I don't know, it's all I've ever worked with, so maybe it's going to be true elsewhere, but that kind of four years of college where for the first time many students are on their own asking questions away from parents, lots of transition happened, uh, it's just an it's just kind of an exciting time of life, and I think you see the spirit really work in those places of kind of vulnerability and questions and failures, um, and they're just fun. And I part of the way that God wired me uh, is I, I just I like being around people. I've been told I'm a gatherer, like like trying to get people to come to conferences and making it fun. Like that is just. It's just fun. It's it's life giving to me, and um, and so I, I don't know. Just in God's timing or whatever, when other when other opportunities would call, it every other call was like, okay, that means you'd uproot your family, you'd go to a new place. It, it, there was just nothing about that. I just loved what I was doing, mm-hmm. and then. Um, Probably some of it was it was in the same town that my family was already planted in. Yeah. Uh, probably some of it was, I think, six or seven years ago, if you'd asked me, what are you going to do next? I would have thought planting a church. Um, but stage of life and where I am, like, I really don't think I I might have the skill set for that yet. Like, I, I, I just think there's a lot of stuff i got to learn. And so as... I interviewed the search committee and they talked about what they hope the job will be. It just, I don't know, some clarity, some not clarity, but uh, as best I could tell for the next four or five years, if it works away, this would be a great way for my, I, this, way, I, this is Sandy Wilson. I'm going to kind of quote him. He, he, he really helped me one time when he said, this is at staff training and I heard him say it again. He said that uh, there are only two callings in Scripture. I've never heard anybody say this. He said there's the calling to be an apostle, which none of us are, and he said there's the calling to be a Christian. That is the irrevocable call of the Spirit. And then he said that means being a pastor is just a matter of wisdom. 
um, that all all Christians are followed to call. You're you're always called to follow Jesus, uh, to take up your cross and follow Him, whatever that's going to look like. But he just said a pastor, someone through wisdom, and everybody else has said this is what it's going to wisely look like for me to follow Jesus right now. And a banker has said, this is what it's going to look like for me and my family to wisely follow Jesus. In some ways it demystified it, I think in a helpful way that was, that honestly felt freeing. Um, uh, with that can come all kinds of struggle. Like I, you know, I know I can be self-absorbed and uh, not want to take risk. And, you know, so I hope I'm praying through those things, but I don't know. It, it felt a lot more ordinary than I think I thought it would when I was in seminary. Yeah, yeah that, that's helpful. Um, I know we, we only have about five more minutes left or so. Um, let's let's talk about quitting maybe before we okay. <laughs> before we close this out. Um, I would assume uh, in ministry, y'all have had that thought. I've had the thought of, yeah, I'd rather, and I've heard people say things, it'd be nice to just go mow lawns, you know, because you know that's done uh, at the end of the day. Maybe people out there who are wrestling with, okay, is it time to hang it up? Is it time to quit? Um, have you heard anyone share any wisdom on, you know, just the endurance, the long start, just pushing through um, kind of some of those difficult seasons or when it may be time to, hey, look, yeah, hang it up. Any any thoughts there um, along those lines that y'all have heard? <laughs> Brent? I... I think the most I could say about this, I I mean, certainly I've, there have been times and seasons and it's usually born out of a circumstance that feels out of control. And, you know, I just don't know what to do in this moment, or I don't have the skills to, to press through this thing, whatever it is. And, you know, then as you just start to feel incompetent and then those voices come in and just say like, you know, you should never have done this in the first place. And just all that stuff just floods in, which I think the evil one is certainly in that and, in that's Absolutely. his voice is in there, if yeah, not you know, sure. your own voice. But um, I think a big part of of consider if you're considering doing something different and, and jumping out of ministry is just don't make that decision on your own. It's not to say that you shouldn't trust yourself at all, because there are factors to consider. And certainly if you're married, your spouse would be a big part of that conversation in well, should be a very big part of that conversation. Um yeah, don't come home and announce to your wife <laughs> that you've uh, left your job. But is to to be at a place uh, to to have cultivated the kind of relationships where you do have people that you can speak very frankly with about that. Um, I would say it would be rare, but ideal if some of those voices speaking into that are people who maybe are within that church, whether it's trusted elders on the session or just friends people in the church who see what you do and could have some perspective to give you about almost like what Brian was saying earlier in, Hey, here's what we see in you. Even when you can't see it from yourself, we still see you, you know, functioning beautifully and and serving the church in these ways. Again, even if you're having moments of self doubt or or doubting, uh, or whatever, um, to have people within the church that have seen it, that can validate it or even confirm, Hey, yeah, we think, uh, you know, we've seen you getting tired in the job and, and we haven't seen you bring the same level of energy or creativity or you just don't really seem to be in it as much anymore. That's helpful. It's also scary because sometimes those people have the deci- have the power to um, make that decision for you and tell you your days are over. And if you give them a window to do that, that can or the opportunity that can be um, kind of scary to trust them. So, you know, I, I don't know. I, I think it's try to. Um, my pastor back in Tulsa, uh, Ricky Jones, he would always say, um, he would tell his session members, he said, he said, I refuse to be the pastor of a church where I can't also have friends. And I just thought that was really wise that he just didn't want to be this person who felt so isolated that he couldn't talk to the people who knew him closest and knew him best. So whatever it takes to cultivate those kind of relationships, I would say that's time and energy worth spending. Yeah, that's, that's a good word. And something, even as I'm asking this, I'm thinking of um, <laughs> that maybe something to help out as, you know, I thought about quitting. I, I think I've said um, most youth retreats, I thought about quitting at least once. And, and so I think something from that was to always consider the context. Usually those thoughts came out of, and something you said, Brent, that triggered that was, 
I was exhausted. I was fatigued. And I wasn't thinking clearly. And yeah, the evil one's on the prowl for sure. And so just kind of all those factors together. So I think, you know, whoever's listening maybe potentially contemplating that. Like think of the broader context of what your life circumstances are as those thoughts are coming about. So that's a thought that came to mind. But Brian, I'd love for you to kind of jump in and share anything. Yeah, I think we said, Parrot, there were plenty of times in RUF that I was like, maybe I shouldn't be doing this. And those were born... A lot of my own insecurity out of failure that I saw of just a one-on-one that went horribly or that large group that nobody showed up because there was a Sigma Chi date party and you're like, what, you know, what are we doing here anyway? And, but again, I'm married and there's, it's a gift. Like she was able to remind me of the cycles where she would be like, Brian, every April you tell me this. And (laughs) I was like, oh, okay. Okay. Um, so that was some sanity. Um, I do think there is something too that Brent was saying. Like, I, I think you have to work hard at liking the place that you are. Uh, I think we actually have a responsibility. I don't think we can control that, but wherever God has us, I think we're to incarnate ourselves to that place. Uh, and I think if you hate the place that you are, um, and that could be even like if you hate youth culture or whatever. Uh, I mean, I think it's still responsible to work at it, but like, I don't know, maybe like, maybe you don't need to be there. Mm-hmm. Um, but it could be personal stuff. I don't know. I I would just be willing to ask people around you and, and know you're like, I don't know if Brent remembers this. I mean, I was always insecure that <laughs> I would be the guy because I started becoming an old guy in RUF that was still doing RUF, but everybody else was looking and being like, you mean he's like still doing this? And so... <laughs> No, I no one's Brent, told him it's time to move yeah, on. <laughs> I gave Brent license earlier. I was like, hey, I don't want to be that guy. So, like, if 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 I'm ever still doing RUF and everybody's kind of being like, he should move on, please tell me. And Brent said I would. And so that that gave me a security because I trusted Brent. Um, uh, yeah, but that's kind of a combination of my insecurities. and But we're just entrusting ourselves to Jesus every day and he's mm-hmm. good. And the call is to follow him this year. And I don't know what that's going to bring. And yeah. I, I just, the one thing we can't quit on is following Jesus. Amen um, to that. So, but we can quit on being a pastor Yeah, and, yeah. and the kingdom will keep going. So. Yeah, that's, that's right. Now that's, that's a good word for sure. And I think, I mean, just a common thread running through all this is community, you know, um, I mean, from talking to a spouse, 100% vital. Yeah, let's just go ahead and kind of underline and bold that. But then friends and, I mean, Brian, you highlighting insecurities. I mean, every one of us has those insecurities and they can be blinding and just straight up, you know, lies. And so we need people around us to to be truthful and say, hey, look, yeah, maybe it is time to move on. Or, hey, you're, you're missing this totally in the ways that the Lord has gifted you. Um, so, yeah, Brent. I mean, I, as I've come into RYM and started to understand in a more full-orbed way what, what it is that we're trying to do to serve youth leaders and ultimately serve the church, I, you know, shameless plug for youth leader training. As we're thinking through what we are uh, trying to do with youth leaders and how to serve them, and a big, a big part of our emphasis in that is to get youth leaders connected with other youth leaders to try to develop these friendships and these webs of relationships where there are people around you who both understand what you're doing on a day-to-day basis, who know you um, at some level of depth and intimacy uh, to where they can uh, be people that you're processing these cyclical thoughts with as you're, you know, maybe you enter a harder season of ministry and, and you're trying to figure out if this is just temporary or if this is a bigger transition happening in your life. Uh, those sort of people who understand more in the minutia what you're doing, uh, they're, they're invaluable. So, um, Come to come to YLT <laughs> this spring, and um, we we don't want to overpromise, but we also want to certainly tell you that's a big part of our heart and what we're trying to develop there. Yeah, and, and this was not a uh, <laughs> we didn't intend to set this up to to highlight that, but I mean, just it, it's vitally important. I mean, I, I think you're 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 bringing it up just because we sincerely love the church and love people and. Um, I've said it so many times that I was going to YLT before I came on staff with RYM and I had to have it every year um, just to get around that community. And again, we, it's not just a, a community, but it's people doing the same thing you're doing and they know the struggles and they know the challenges and the difficulties. And um, yeah, it became 
just a, a must. So, look, Brian, Brent, appreciate you guys taking the time to come on today, and we hope this is helpful to others. Come and buy without money. Oh, come and feast without pay.